Welcome to Mind Over Matter with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. I share stories of insight, personal experience, ways in which I and others have overcome obstacles, and the importance of perseverance. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am thrilled to have you here on my podcast, tuning in weekly as I share two episodes with you. My goal through this podcast is to inspire and empower as well as motivate you to move forward in life. I also provide one-on-one coaching, so if that's something you're interested in, listen all the way to the end for ways to connect with me. Welcome to episode number 151. This week, this episode is relatable to anyone. If you ever had any kind of addiction, shopping, chocolate, sex, gambling, drugs, etc., This week's guest tells you how he went from drug addict to entrepreneur. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I brought on Michael Dash. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to have you on. Uh, Give the listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? So right now I live in Redondo Beach, California, after spending the last 11 years in Salt Lake City, Utah. So a nice shift to the warmth and the ocean. And I have a book coming out called Chasing the High um, that will be released June 11th. It's about my entrepreneurial journey and my journey through addiction and uh, the mistakes I made, but most importantly, the lessons that I learned. I have a a company called Fate, F-A-T-E, from addict to entrepreneur. It's an interview series where I interview former addicts who are now entrepreneurs and built multi-million dollar companies. And we'll be releasing a mentoring program to work with business leaders and entrepreneurs who are dealing with compulsive and addictive behaviors that are negatively affecting them as leaders, family members, and, and friends. Yeah. Well, give a little, can you give a little background maybe further of what life used to be like compared to where you're at today? Oh, yeah. Uh, So it's been an interesting journey filled with, uh, you know, peaks and valleys, as they say. And uh, I've had addiction in my life basically since the age of 11 when I started, when I made my first bet and I started gambling. Uh, My uncle introduced me to it and I won the first bet I ever made at 11 years old. And that was the worst thing that happened. So I was addicted. I was hooked. I gambled for 20 years. I was definitely a compulsive gambler. In college, I was a bookie. Um, So I I did it all. I bet on everything, uh, men's sports, women's sports, sports in the UK that I wouldn't even be able to watch, but I would put a bet in and go to sleep and just wake up and see if I won. And uh, casinos, horse tracks, all of it. Uh, And then, um, like most people who have addiction, it's not just one addiction. It's very easy to become cross-addicted. And that's what happened to me. Um, The one thing I was always able to do is excel in my career. I was very good on the sales side of things. So I would make sure I was crushing it at work so then I could go blow all my money gambling or on drugs, which ended up when I was in New York City being cocaine uh, that was an addiction for eight years, every single weekend. It's just prevalent in New York, wherever you go, especially if you're 20s, you're going out to clubs and stuff and you don't kind of know any better. You're just doing the New York thing. Uh, 
thing, whatever that means, right? <laughs> uh, and um, cocaine was just showing up everywhere, and you know, I participated. And so for eight years, uh, I was really hooked on that. And then I made a transition out to Utah. I followed a business opportunity. During that whole time, I was in the staffing and recruiting business. And I followed a business opportunity out to Utah, which ended up being a business. And I opened up Parallel HR Solutions with my ex-business partner. And we ran that for 11 years. And I also discovered Adderall at the same time. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Adderall became a daily part of my life. And out of all the addictions I had, I think that was the the worst addiction. I would like yearn for it. I would like freak out if I didn't have it. And it was a daily thing. And it definitely affected how I showed up as a leader in my office and how I treated my employees and, and myself. So whether it was gambling, Coke, Adderall, were you it was chasing the high? always chasing the high and you can even add in entrepreneurship and sales to that because even though I, I, you know, was a CEO president of my company, like true and through, I'm a sales guy. I've always been a sales guy. I've always been able to sell anything. I, I, in early in my career, I would just like every sale I got would be like a high to me. And, you know, when you have all these highs in your life, you can't have enough of them. Right. So like, it would be like the gambling high wasn't enough. So then the sales high would supplement that. And then the sales high wasn't enough. And then the Coke would supplement that. And I would like, when I was gambling and doing Coke, I would do them at the same time because one, I wasn't not all the time, but a lot of the times, one of them wouldn't get me high enough, so to speak. It wouldn't really get me like that fix that I was looking for at the time. Um, so yeah, so it was all, I mean, every single one of those instances, Adderall too, when you pop an Adderall for me, like my, the blood just pumping through my veins would just, just get me like, I mean, it was like Coke in a pill really, um, you know, legal, I got a prescription, um, but just like anybody can get a prescription for it. So, so yeah, I think the answer to your question would be, yes, all of those, I was chasing the high in every single one of those instances. Well, and I feel like people who maybe can't relate to you aren't gamblers or drug addicts or whatever. Everybody can relate to some sort of chasing the high, right? Whether it's achievements. um, I know what it's like. I love shopping. So that instant gratification, but then I buy the thing and then I I want the next thing. So, you know, I think so many people do this chasing the high in their own version. So what flipped a switch or what changed for you constantly chasing this high to be like, what am I doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I agree with you. You know, there's so many ways that you can chase the high. I mean, people on social media right now, when they're chasing likes, like that's their high. It can be related to eating, to shopping, to all different areas. Um, You know, I was, I lived in Utah for 11 years. Porn is a huge problem there. So there's like all these different things that people are using as outlets to get the high that, or that fix that they've convinced themselves that they need. Like it's all in our minds. We convince ourselves we need this stuff. Mm. Uh, 
So it's the story we tell ourselves over and over and over again. And that was a story I was telling myself. I needed that Adderall. I couldn't work. I couldn't survive. Um, and, and so to your question of when, I believe your question was when the, the switch flipped. You know, I went to Bali um, two and a half years ago. I attended a retreat called Unconventional Life. And there were two people at that retreat talking about the study of flow. And at that time in my life, I was very negative. I had a chip on my shoulder. I was extremely angry because I was in a five-year lawsuit with my ex-business partner who I had purchased the company from. So I was running a company that was actually running me and I wasn't fulfilled with it anymore. So... I wasn't open to really listening to anybody about flow or astro- like things like astrology and energy and meditation and all that stuff. I grew up back East. You know, we were just taught like that's some shishi nonsense, you know, don't even like those are weirdos over there and they're just trying to scam your money. So that's what I had in my head until I heard these two people talk about flow. They talked about uh, the premise of flow is making decisions through your intuition and not overthinking things with your mind, but going with your heart more. Even if it doesn't make logical sense that living an effortless life by making decisions that way and having the ability then to manifest things in your future And again, I met it with resistance, but then I sat down and talked to them after. They kind of told me about their whole process and I left with the feeling of, you know, would it be so bad to live a different way? And I kept saying that to myself. And when I flew back from Bali to New York, that's the only thing, or to Utah at the time, it's the only thing I was thinking was that saying. And I said, all right, screw it. I'm going to take this course. It was like a thousand dollars and it's a flow consciousness Institute, if anybody's interested, but I took the course and, and I was against spending money on things like this because in my mind it was like some, some scam, but I took the course and it really changed the trajectory of my life. So wait a minute. Do you think it was your intuition or an, an internal nudge because there you had a battle of your ego is telling you, fuck this. It's woo woo. That's crazy shit. It's a scam. But somehow you still were like, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I, you know, it's a great question. I believe that I was just desperate at the time. Like I was so miserable and it was put in front of me and there weren't any other options. And I did want to change something So I just threw caution to the wind and it was at that point I kind of decided like I'm no longer going to make decisions based on money because that's what I was doing. I made all my decisions based on money. I ended up in Utah because uh, I was offered to start a company out there for 50% versus starting a company in New York with my best friend who I've known since five, but I would only get 30%. So I went to Utah and I didn't know anybody. I knew one person in Utah. So these are just how, this is how I made decisions in my life. It's all based on money, cost-benefit analysis in my head. So at the time, I, I made a commitment, you know what? 
don't want, I'm not going to worry about if um, what value I'm going to get because I'm not going to know until I'm in it. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and do it. In a sense, I might have been following my flow already without even recognizing it. Yeah. So I did that and I took the course and the course itself goes through a whole process of clearing your limiting beliefs and it involves tapping. Uh, if you're familiar with tapping, EFT, um, right? Yeah. And some EMDR. Um, I think that's, that's the initials. Wait, um, so in case somebody doesn't know what EFT, um, crap, what's it called? I mean, what does EFT stand for? So I don't know if it was EFT specifically, but it was basically what, what we did is we would write all our limiting beliefs down. So one huge limiting belief for a lot of people is that change is difficult, right? Or change is easy. Like people don't believe change is easy, but change is very easy. Like if you wanted to change something, you could do it just today. Boom. That doesn't mean you'll see the results today, but you can actually change your behavior today. Too many people are tied to change equaling the results they want and them wanting it like instantaneously. Like, like results take time. Change can happen immediately. So change and time are not correlated. They're not related, right? But people convince themselves that they are. So change um, was very easy uh, for me to make. And so we went through clearing that limiting belief. So if you take that, for instance, your base, that limiting belief change is difficult. So you're saying it out loud and you're releasing it, but you're tapping right here while you're doing it between, and believe me, I thought this was super weird. So like, um, and you're tapping between like your spine and your, uh, side of your, on the side of your neck, there's like a, uh, there's a, um, a vein right there not a vein, a, um, yeah, you know what I mean? So you're tapping here and you're moving your eyes right to left, right to left, right to left. So, and then you're reciting this out loud and it actually, there's an energy force that, you know, that enters that allows you to clear this and you're actually exhausted after you're done doing it. Because it's such a release, right? So release. So I I Googled it real quick. So if somebody's listening, EFT, and I believe it's um, uh, Nick Ortner. Nick Ortner is the guy that does this, but it's emotional freedom technique. And it's literally a form of counseling intervention that um, it's, it's an energy medicine. So yeah, it is. You're tapping on these different energy spots. You were doing the back of their neck. I know he does at your third eye and like, on your cheekbone and your chin. And anyway, it's a form of release. So I would assume yeah, you're exhausted because you're just like a detox. Well, yeah. And the, the EMDR piece of it is the actual, it's like kind of like the eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing hmm. of the actual um, belief that you're clearing. So it's kind of like a form of psychotherapy, they say. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I didn't believe in any of this stuff and, uh, I just said, I'll screw it. I'm going to do it. And you know, it can't be any worse than it is. And so I did it and it kind of de-stresses you and 
it, it kind of puts these images that you've implanted in your head of like change being so difficult, like, and it, it kind of puts them to ease and it kind of flushes them out basically. So can this help people with weight loss issues, like o- overweight people, people with money issues, holding those limiting beliefs that money is hard to come by or you have to work hard for money. Is it for everything? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We talked about uh, money on there too. There's a whole thing about money in one of their modules and that is, that's a big clean, uh, limiting belief as well, especially in the online world. Certain people, they might be great at what they do, but when it comes to actually selling and closing like a, a program online or something, they get all awkward about it and weird. And, and, and so they have all these limiting beliefs around it or they undervalue themselves and they don't ask for what they're worth. Yeah. Uh, because they're afraid of rejection or whatever it might be. Um, EMDR itself is used a lot for PTSD. Uh, so for a lot of people coming back from war and, uh, and traumatic you know, situations like that, uh, the EMDR is, is utilized for. But the, the, the whole study of flow, it goes into the technical pieces of it. I am not so interested in all the technicalities. I'm like much more interested in the like, like I don't need, I'm one of those people that doesn't really need to know how it all works, but if it does work, then I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so, so that's what I did. And, you know, we cleared all these limiting beliefs. We put these positive beliefs in and I was actually able to start manifesting change in my life and seeing all these synchronicities occurring and those words, just the words were not even in my vocabulary for 30 years. Like I never in my life said manifestation for 30 years. Never said it. So wait, how long did the program take you? It was, uh, I believe, an eight-week program. It's an eight-week online program. And um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly. So you went in all these BS beliefs about it. Did this eight-week program and then were you seeing changes during those eight weeks immediately after during this is just two and a half years ago right yeah yeah okay. it was two years ago I was seeing that during I was actually seeing things change during that because my mindset started shifting and I started waking every day with a positive outlook instead of a negative outlook and what? it was yeah, it was it was just I mean, it's crazy how being positive can change so many things. And you know, seeing the uh seeing the bright side of things versus look, we can all look at a situation and the situation itself, it's a set of circumstances and facts that are not going to change. You might look at that situation and see it one way, I might look at it and see it another way. It's just the it's a difference between looking at it from the positive side or the negative side. Like if you're doing a project and it's due in a week and you're only halfway through, well, you can say, hey, I'm halfway through. I'm halfway done. Or you can say, oh, my God, I only got halfway through this. I had so much work left. In it. You know, it's just a matter of like how you're going to look at and approach a situation. Yeah. And it can it can have the biggest shift and the biggest change uh, for your mindset and, um, you know, and wh- where you're going with it. So. I have a question to back up before you started this program, were you still doing the drugs and the gambling and all that stuff? So the gambling I had stopped long ago. So actually I'm releasing my book the week of June 11th, which will be 14 years clean of gambling. Okay. So gambling was done. Cocaine was done. I have, I've been clean from cocaine for over 10 years. Um, Adderall I was doing. 
And I was doing it every single day. I was also smoking pot at night. I would take Adderall in the morning and smoke pot to come down at night. So those things were prevalent in my life on a daily basis. Are you still doing those things? I'm not doing those things. Thank the Lord. What does it? Yeah. Go ahead. Adderall I gave up last year. Um, Adderall was was really, out of all of them, Adderall really affected me, I feel like, the most because it had a physical and emotional effect on me. And even though cocaine did too, I was doing it primarily on the weekends and um, not during the week. Adderall, I was doing every single day. And, you know, it I treated people more than anything. It, it took out the fun part of me. I was so serious all the time. And I would not lead from a place of compassion. I would lead from a place of correction. And I would constantly be correcting people. And, uh, and addressing them from that standpoint, instead of compassionately mentoring people. And as a leader in a company, you know, that, that's your role. So then how did you quit Adderall cold turkey? If it seems like you were dependent upon it. So how do you, how do you do that? So for me, it, it all started with self-recognition and recognizing had a problem because for the majority of the time I was just on autopilot. This is what I did. This is how I lived. This is life. Right. So I basically remember it clear as day. It was Tuesday. It was a Tuesday morning. I walked into my office. I opened my desk drawer. I looked down to grab my Adderall pill and the drawer was empty. My heart started to panic. I called immediately the doctor's office to get an appointment. They weren't in yet. Left a voicemail. 10 o'clock came, 11 o'clock came, 12 o'clock came, no return call. I got in my car. I drove 20 minutes to the doctor's office. Got in line and stood in line. There were four in front of me. I remember waiting patiently. Three people, then two people, then one person. Then finally I was talking to the receptionist. And I was sitting there begging the receptionist to fit me in the doctor's schedule because I ran out of my Adderall prescription. And she's like, Michael, like we got your message earlier this morning. We've just been slammed. We haven't had a chance to call you back, but you didn't have to show up here. Like the doctor is booked for three days. He cannot fit you in. And then I remember going back to my car and my heart was like beating really fast. And I was just sitting in my car, just completely like with a defeated, just felt completely defeated and like panicked and like, what? do and I took like three really slow long deep breaths and I I realized like you are acting completely irrationally like you're out of control and it was right that my self-recognition actually kicked in for the first time and I realized that I had an Adderall addiction I had never looked at it like that I even though I was taking it every day for seven years I just never Never approached it like that. Never looked at it like that. But uh, as I sat there, I remembered all the times I was desperately scheduling doctor's appointments when I was on my last pill. And I was like driving to different uh, pharmacies. Uh, If one pharmacy couldn't fill the prescription, I would drive 40 minutes to another pharmacy so they could fill it. So I wouldn't have to wait just 24 hours 
to, for this pharmacy to fill it. So it was like behaviors like that where, you know, I recognize, look, I'm average, look, I'm average. And that's self-recognition. And at that point, that's when I realized I want to, uh, I'm giving this up. And so like over the next three days, even though it was tough not having it, I um, drinking a lot more coffee and I, I still do drink more coffee than I used to. Um, I was actually communicating with my employees a lot better. I felt a lot calmer. I was mentoring them as a leader should do instead of like, you know, cutting them down as to why they made the same mistake three times. Well, they made the same mistake three times because of my inability to express the proper way we should do things. It wasn't, it was actually my fault. And that's when I quit. Wow, that's awesome. I can't imagine what that would have been like, fiending for a drug and then flipping the script and saying, no more. Smokers do it right, alcoholics do it. And then, so what is life like today, sober? Um, it's, it's great. It's, you know, I wake up every day with a clear mind. I'm not groggy. I, uh, I still do have some challenges sleeping, um, and getting to sleep because for so long on top of all that, you know, smoking pot. So like it would, it would put me right to bed, but I would wake up groggy every morning. It would take me a little bit longer to get together. Um, you know, now I wake up in the morning and I, I run first thing to the coffee shop and I have my coffee there and then I run home. So I've gotten a couple of miles in before the day even starts just to get my coffee. And then if for whatever reason I get too busy, I can't go to the gym later. Well, at least I got that little run in in the morning. So, so that's a great thing. I, you know, in, during that time of transformation from Bali over the last couple of years, I started listening to podcasts. I had never listened to a podcast before that. So I actually have an affirmation podcast that I listen to. Um, like I believe in manifestation. I believe that you can change your future. And by saying things and speaking the truth, speaking what you want, that the universe will conspire with you to help you there. And I actually believe these things. And which is absolutely crazy. If you grew up with me, you would be like, what the hell happened to this guy? Um, but this is the actual, this is the only way to live in my opinion, because there's so many people who are so, you know, sheltered and focused on just what they know. They lack curiosity. And for me, curiosity was a huge factor in changing my life and my perspective. And I believe in the power of curiosity. And it's one of the major steps I talk about in, in the program I'm building under, under fate to, uh, to help mentor and work with you know, entrepreneurs and business leaders who are dealing with these compulsive behaviors. You have to be curious and try things that you might have had an opinion about before, but actually you didn't really know anything about it. You just had an opinion based on what other people said. That's no way to live life. I lived it like that for 30 years and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Something you touched on just a minute ago is a quote from The Alchemist. Is, have you read that book? I've, I've read it, yes. It was, it's been a while. Yeah, it's an easy read, but The Alchemist is... You know, whatever desires you have, the universe conspires to make it happen. So I would, I would say you're a little woo-woo-y now. 
Woo, I am, I, woo, woo, I embrace my woo. That's awesome. I have some questions to ask you to wrap up this interview. And the first one is, what is a quote or motto that you live by? So a motto I live by, it also could be a piece of advice also, is don't make emotional decisions. So that, that's a big one for me because for so long I made like all the decisions I made were at an emotionally high level and uh, they wouldn't have been the same decisions had I, I had meditation in my life at that point or had I had the ability to take deep breaths and breath work is really uh, an important thing. Um, also that I, that I, that I yearn for that I seek out. Um, so so that's, that's kind of a motto I live by. That's awesome. I, I would agree. Actually, one of my coaches, anytime I was kind of like all frazzled or as Tony Robbins says, in your head, you're dead. He, he would sit me through this. It was literally just a 60 second breath work. And I, I was totally calm and I was like, damn, that was easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, we just did, um, I was at a, I'm in a mastermind and we we're up in Malibu and we did, the Wim Hof uh, breath work. I don't know if you're familiar with Wim Hof. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, so we did his breath work technique and then we took ice baths like up to our neck. Uh, and it was, it, yeah, it, it would be great for you after running that marathon, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And to see people overcome their fears, some people were stricken with fear, tears rolling down their eyes just to get in this ice bath. And it was miraculous. They fought through it. They got through it and they went in. Um, but it was, it was very interesting to see. So, but the breath work piece is what makes it, uh, allows you to kind of get through all of that. Yeah. And power of mindset, which you've touched on before. Yeah, totally. Second question for you. What is a book you are currently reading or highly recommend? My book, Chasing the High. <laughs> Sorry, you laid it out there for Fair me. Fair enough. Um, the book that I really enjoyed that hit home with me is uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it really talks about the fact that when you have an obstacle in your life, the only way to conquer it is through it. Not around it, not under it, not over it, through it. You have to meet the obstacles head on. You have to meet the challenges in life head on. Yeah. Kind of like that ice bath example, people in tears, they had so much fear. The only way to conquer that. So the fear no longer has power was to get in the bath. That's it. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Really. I really like that book. I actually quoted him from his book in my book. That's how much I like it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I kind of answered that in two questions ago with the emotional, um, emotional decision piece, but, uh, putting that aside, I would say, um, to have, to not limit yourself and have a big, hairy, audacious goal earlier in life and focus everything you can on that goal. Push the distractions out, focus everything on that goal. So every day at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, 
name three things you're going to do to take the next step to reach that goal. And at the end of the day, did I do these three things? And if not, move them to the next day until and, and continue that pattern. And that way you'll be more focused on the ultimate goal. Sometimes what I found is that all of us, we get wrapped up in believing we've had a productive day. But just because you've done 30 different tasks doesn't mean any of them were actually productive and are getting you closer to what your end goal is. So I consistently have to remind myself that because some days I'm like, oh man, I just crushed 50 emails. But like they were like not important, right? They weren't important. They weren't moving the needle for me. They were, you know, and, and so it's, it's being able to evaluate that and keeping focus on that big, hairy, audacious goal, which mine is to affect 1 million entrepreneurs, business leaders suffering from addiction in the next five years. That that is audacious. Good for you. Okay. I said final question, but actually I I have one more. That's why I do that all the time. So I'm down. I know I normally I'm pretty good, but it it came to mind. So I have to ask, what is your final piece of advice for somebody listening that maybe they're going through these addictive behaviors or they know somebody close to them and they want to help them? What do they do? So there's, there's a lot of things to do. I would say, number one, they could contact me. I'm here to, you know, offer support to anybody. They could contact me through my website, Michael G dash. If it's you yourself and you've recognized it and you you have some self-recognition, there, again, are several things. One, you could go to an anonymous program if that's something that you're open to doing. So I went to Gamblers Anonymous uh, for and, and the program really resonated with me. But I don't believe in the whole program. I believe in parts of the program and I applied it to my situation. Some people have problems with the program. They don't want to go. I get that. Um, so that's one thing they, they could do. If it's really bad and they need treatment, then go to a rehabilitation center. Um, but other things, if, if you're not sure if you have an addiction or not, open up that curiosity. Go back to when you were a child. And don't do the example I'm going to give right now. But as a child, we would be so curious about everything. We would see a pen on a dirty floor and we would pick it up and put it in our mouth, right? That's just like we were just curious about things. So be curious and introduce one new thing into your life. It could be the smallest thing. It could be affirmation podcast, okay? I mentioned that before. and Something that really just calms your brain down. It could be meditation. It could be something that I love is a sound bath. And if your audience isn't familiar with a sound bath, it's basically a type of meditation, but you are laying down and there is an instructor who is playing bowls um, with with, uh, um, an instrument thing and making sounds with all the bowls and taking you on a journey and your mind is able to calm down and really refocus. Um, so I'm, my thing is try one new thing until you find something you like. That doesn't mean you have to change your behavior. That doesn't mean you never will do a specific thing again. Like for me, when I start, thought about stopping gambling, I was like, what do you mean I never can gamble again in my life? Oh, my God, that's, that's amazing. That's unbelievable. I can't do that. There's no way. 
But yeah, you know, you don't think about it like that. You just think about it. Okay, tomorrow I'm not going to gamble and just take it one day at a time and then introduce a new interesting or, or a new activity uh, that you found through your curiosity. And then those small changes can have a lot of big impact because you can really get that snowball effect. So uh, that's a long answer to your short question, but um, hopefully it came through well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story and uh, especially tapping into your woo-woo. <laughs> Absolutely. It was great. Uh, it was a great conversation. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. To connect with me further, you can find me on Facebook, Heather Hakes. I am also on Instagram as heather.hakes. And I even have a YouTube channel. Guess what? Heather Hakes. I'll catch you on the next episode.